0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helly here. That's right, this is LTS Quick Snaps, our little side project where we break down the latest two episodes of the fantastic docu-series airing on ESPN, The Last Dance, the story of the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. Uh, it seems as though we're now at the point of the story where the main themes of episodes five and six, which we just got done watching, uh, were more about the burden behind being Michael Jordan, the burden that that comes with, that that seemed to be the underlying theme, just how difficult it is to be that great at something.
1: Yeah, and that famous at something, right? And I, I, I agree. I've been thoroughly enjoying the entire series up to this point, right, with the six episodes. But I thought five and six is where we really get into the meat of things here. And and we there's a lot of background right in one, two, three, and four. We meet a lot of the the, the key characters, and Michael and Scotty and Phil and Dennis Rodman to an extent as well. Jerry Krause, uh, some of the off the court details that that make up the background of the story. But I think once we got into episode five, we really start digging into that behind the scenes footage, some of the stuff we haven't seen before. Uh, but but absolutely, I, I I love the the two episodes and kind of this arc we go on right because five is very episode five is very much the building of Michael, the brand, right? Air Jordan. We're talking about his airness uh, and just all that went into that. And and I think the, the, the fame building and, and the, the Spike Lee, uh, you know, Mars Blackman commercials to the be like Mike Gatorade ads, like all of this, the Nike marriage, how he became the most marketable and famous face on the, on the planet. Really uh, and, and just what that meant, right? And, and then, of course, the, the Madison Square Garden snippets at the beginning of the episode, and all the way through, where he's wearing his Jordan ones and his last, you know, last game—air quotes—at Madison Square Garden in 1998. And then, then you juxtapose that with episode six, right, where they where they really get into, hey, this is how famous he was, but this is the burden that comes with being that famous, and and multiple people, right, especially uh, one of the Bulls arena staffers, basically saying, like, I wouldn't want to be Michael. That's exhausting, like just the constant pressure to be on and be perfect all the time on the court, off the court, everything that comes with it. Episode six in itself is a really well-crafted uh, episode because it starts off with that great little snippet of Michael and the security guards playing quarters up mm-hmm. against the wall. And like that's the that's the entryway into Michael as the gambler and, and all of the storylines and all of the drama that surrounded that and how did we get to, to, to kind of enter that realm? It was, it was him behind the scenes in this footage that we haven't seen of him with the security guards playing quarters. And it's like, yeah, that's Michael in a nutshell right there.
0: I got the sense that the image that was being constructed by those companies who he served as an endorser for, namely Nike and Gatorade and the Be Like Mike campaign, uh, where he invited that, right? He invited people to basically process his image as something of a golden boy and, and, and an image that really, frankly, is impossible for anybody to live up to. And so, so he invited that. He voluntarily engaged in the idea of, all right, be like me. I'm the standard setter. I'm going to be the role model. At a time, ironically, when uh, one of his colleagues in the league, Charles Barkley, had the famous Nike commercial where he was saying, I'm not a role model. Parents should be role models. And then you hear Michael Jordan himself saying, if I had to do it all over again, uh, I wouldn't want anybody to look at me as a role model. But again, that was something that he, in, in large part, brought about onto himself. So, Uh, I I think those were some of the top takeaways of, yeah, this was difficult. To be Michael Jordan, uh, it required so much patience beyond what any normal human being can fathom. Then having to walk that very fine line of not alienating anyone socially or politically, right? And the famous quote that he says, he said in a matter-of-fact manner of, Republicans buy sneakers too, and you had the Harvey Gantt, North Carolina Senate race, where Michael refused to endorse him. Uh, It was very interesting to sort of hear Mike talking about that, saying he never thought of himself as an activist, always thought of himself as an athlete. And it brings about, I think, the very real question that has followed Michael Jordan. Did he have a responsibility to be more publicly proactive with regard to social causes? I think that that divides a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I I thought they, you know, you could spend... Multiple episodes on that, I think, right, and and that's the the difficult part of, of squeezing this all in, squeezing in air quotes, right. I mean, it is ten hours worth of of a documentary, basically. But you know, there there are these very complex issues when it comes to to talking about, as you mentioned, the the, the fame and the, the the symbol that Michael Jordan became uh, because of everything that comes with it, the good, the bad, and, and then the, the uncomfortable, if you will, in the middle, right. When it comes to that, whether it's being a bit more of a, a social activist, fighting for for social justice, whether it's even just taking a side, right in 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 a political race, and and so you know I've I've always felt, and and maybe I know I speak from a place of privilege where I haven't necessarily had to to fight and claw my way through some of those injustices, but I you know I've always sort of felt that I think it's great when athletes and prominent figures choose to use their celebrity and their position of influence to fight for a cause, to do that. But I I, I have just a hard time criticizing when they choose not to, right? And I think you bring up a good point that that a lot of that was welcomed by Michael. I mean, this wasn't just completely unfair where he's thrown into this situation uh, unwillingly. I've never faulted him for that. I I, I can totally understand with folks who want more. And I think even he, right, uh, you know, still struggles with that a little bit. I don't think it was necessarily easy. I don't think it necessarily feels great about everything when it comes to that, but... It is, um, as you said, it it always sort of incites reaction uh, when you get into that side of it, just because, I mean, there was nobody more famous and more really influential in living rooms across the country and across the world when it came to Michael in the 90s.
0: This was some of the first times that we had seen publicly Michael Jordan criticized. And then you had Sam Smith's Jordan Rules book where uh, his cold-blooded side was revealed. Uh, But what's fascinating to me is while Michael's reputation at the time may have taken a bit of a hit, it didn't hurt him in terms of uh, serving as an endorser. He was still as marketable a figure and human being as there was at the time. Uh, But we actually look back on that now and that cold-blooded nature, how how he demanded so much of his teammates almost to an unfair and sometimes violent level. Uh, And we look on that with much more, I think, of a mystique attached to it now, right? We have actually, I think, gotten to a point where that's part of why we praise Michael Jordan. It's like, man, he demanded so much. He was the perfect leader because, you know, he put his teammates into uncomfortable situations, and that's how he knew he was going to be able to trust them when it was really on the line in the playoffs, in the nitty-gritty against some of the most physical teams that this game of professional basketball has ever had. Uh, And so it's funny how... The conversation about the Jordan rules and what they did for Jordan's image, they've kind of changed and evolved a little bit over time. Yeah, without a doubt,
1: right? And I think part of that is you know, outlined in the documentary where it, this timeline, right, where, where Michael is the golden child, obviously, and, and he sort of slays the dragon when it came to the Pistons and defeated them, right? And they were the bad boy Pistons. And so Michael was very much the white hat in that duel when it came to came to Detroit because Detroit were they were the goons they were the bad boys they were they were the bullies and Michael was the one that dethroned them most recently and then went on this run went on this run of multiple championships he's on top of the world he is the good guy in a lot of people's stories and and with that nobody wants to hear about how the sausage is made right nobody wants to hear about all of the the FUs and, and being demanding at practice or anything like that, right? Everybody outside, they just show up to the games. They see Michael doing these otherworldly things. They see the Bulls winning a ton of games, winning championships, and all of that. Uh, nobody wants to, you know, necessarily see all of the the ugliness that goes into putting together a championship team. And I know people love drama, and I know people love a good uh, good bit of gossip, and that's where I think the intrigue came, right? It's like, oh, well, hey, this – this superstar, he's, he's not all he's cracked up to be, right? And, and uh, you know, I don't want to compare Sam Smith writing to, to tabloids or something like that, but, you know, I think there's an air of that, right, where you're pulling the curtain back a little bit, and you, you're seeing a little bit of that, and, and you're, you're, you're starting to poke some holes in him, and it's like, oh, maybe maybe we are a little interested in what goes on behind the scenes. Maybe we are a little interested in finding out that Michael Jordan really isn't all the poster boy. That uh, the Nike ads and the Gatorade ads have made him out to be, and then of course that adds to the to the intrigue, right? And and the one thing that it didn't do was slow down ticket sales and popularity and and sneaker sales and anything like that. That is for sure. Um, but I think it did obviously eat away at Michael and, and eat away at his patience, as you put it, uh, when it came to just being Michael Jordan and 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 all the responsibilities uh, that came with it.
0: Yeah, you, you saw it start to wear on him, and that's sort of where we're headed uh, in the next couple of episodes, uh, predictably, is that first retirement for Michael Jordan and then the foray into baseball. What were some other takeaways perhaps that we didn't touch on yet? Did you have any others that you wanted to point out?
1: The whole gambling saga, right, that that comes with it, I just find it so fascinating. Uh, I don't know if we're going to touch on I mean, they get the David Stern quote about how it never was elevated to levels where the league felt it was – you know something that they really needed to to put their foot down on because of course there's the conspiracy theory right that comes with you know hey Jordan's first retirement was it because David Stern in the league basically told him uh, we're either going to suspend you for a little bit or you can go go off to the side and 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 that, that's been debunked in a lot of ways but it's just kind of interesting right I mean you hear about the the Slim Buller uh, trial and and the money that he owed him and how this kind of came out because of the of an actual criminal investigation and. I love the quote right in his Connie Chung interview where he's like, "Uh, do you have a gambling problem? No, I don't have a gambling problem. I can stop anytime. I have a competition problem (laughs) though. And I was like, man, that is the best way to spin that. Uh, And I think the quote that everybody's going to take out of these two episodes right tonight.
0: And then you had the interview of Kobe Bryant. And that sent chills up my spine. I mean, just uh, remembering that he was part of this documentary process and he had been interviewed. uh, And then it reminded us of of Michael Jordan and uh, what he said at the memorial service at Staples Center for Kobe Bryant, and just the open affection that these two had for each other. That is not just a takeaway of mine, but one of the continued surprises here as we get into that portion of the discussion Every time I hear one of them talk about the other now, whether it's old clips of Kobe or Michael Jordan himself talking about him, I am blown away. And these are two of the superstars of all time in this game of basketball. And they talk about each other truly as though they were brothers. Maybe it shouldn't be a surprise, like now that it's out in the open, but it's still relatively new to understand that. And I think adds once again to the humanity of Michael Jordan. And it's just yet another thing that when I watched, I'm like, wow, this is great. And what a great way to start episode five.
1: Yeah, I thought so as well. And and I actually had that in in my category of surprises, if you will, for, from these two episodes was the short snippet we got from from Kobe and basically saying, you know, he's like, man, I, I used to hate when people would ask me, you know, who would win one-on-one? Would it be you? Would it be MJ? And he said he he hated it. And I was like, really? That's interesting, right? Because he was as competitive as anybody we've ever seen since Michael Jordan. He said, I used to tell people, man, well, what do you get from me? I got from him. And it's like, wow, that I've never heard that quote before. I I, I assume that was, you know, some exclusive footage here with with the um, the lead up in the, the filming of The Last Dance. But that I, I was I was pretty blown away by because yeah, we I think we got a, a little view into it, unfortunately, because of Kobe's passing and and um MJ speaking at his service there at Staples Center. But to see that I was like, wow, I was kinda like, well, I perked up and I was like, damn, that's you know, that's kinda interesting because you would imagine there was a bit of a big brother, little brother thing, right? It's like Kobe wanted to go at him. He wanted to go at him in the all-star game and every chance he got, um, you know, in the later stages of Mike's career. But to to hear him say that right in retrospect as a, as a retired guy and say like nah man I, that's not what it was about it it was very much him kind of carrying on and learning from Mike as opposed to to trying to slay Mike as you, if you will as as the big bad guy in the game so I, I yeah I, that was definitely one of my big surprises
0: yeah the humility they display. In respect to one another, I think is is really phenomenal and and shines a bright light on just how strong that connection and that relationship really was. All right, anything of these last two episodes that you wish there was more of, less of? What you got there?
1: Um, can we get at least a full hour, if not just its own documentary of all of that All Star Game footage? Because we <laughs> we know the the crew right that followed them around and just all of that right. I, I'd imagine the five minutes or whatever we got of him and magic and bird uh you know and and when they're taking like the all-star pictures together and he's sitting there and he's sitting in front of grant hill and reggie miller and tim hardaway it's like man i want all of that I, i want all of that footage the interactions with him and kobe on the floor um you know just at the garden how the crowd everything i want all of that they gave us what like 10 minutes that was not enough for me i i want I want everything from that all-star game.
0: As we get further into this discussion, what just general observations uh, did you make here uh, throughout these two episodes, episode five and six? You know, there, there are a few things that the
1: celebrity montage that they put together uh, towards the end of the episode where it's just like everybody you could ever think of from the United States, Jerry Seinfeld or Drew Barrymore, Sinbad. Uh, you know, they got Dr. <laughs> Dre. Like, they got everybody there. That That is amazing because it's like they all came to watch Michael. Like that's how big Michael was. He was bigger than any of these stars. That was, that was crazy. I thought it was really smooth, and I don't know exactly why it was in black and white. But that Mike and Scotty and Ron Harper are just cracking Miller lights in the locker room, and they're like all in suits, and they're all just kind of nonchalant about it. And Scotty's like, "Man, what we we are drinking." It's Michael's telling him, "It's like man, back back in the eighties, they'd be <laughs> they'd be crushing like a whole twelve pack of these after the game." And it's in black and white. I don't know why that portion. Of the film was in black and white, but it just seemed cool as heck. Like, these three guys, the Bulls, are just just a little beverage after smashing the magic, one of the better teams in the East at that time. I thought that was pretty wild. The other, the other basketball thing that I think refreshed my memory, so many of the clips, like, the Bulls are pressing on defense. Like especially the early 90s Bulls, when you get into, like, the 93 finals, you're talking about taking on the, the, um, the Knicks in the conference finals and the Suns. They press a lot. It's strategically, and I know that was kind of their thing, right? Some with the with the second unit, they like to go out there run the trap. Like you just don't see NBA teams press anymore. That was always kind of wild. Then my last observation when they cut to the, I think it's after the second title, Jerry Krause, who's there, and he's just like lathering all this praise on the organization, right? And he's like he's like from Jerry Reinsdorf down to the guy who's the locker room manager, who you know got nothing taken away from him, but he, he's very, it's very clearly in there to show that he was all about the organization, right? They've made this point multiple times. It's not about Mike. It's not about Scott. It's not about um, Phil. It's bigger than one guy. It's bigger than two guys. It's all about the organization. One of the best organizations ever. And all I could think of, his teeth aren't great. I don't know if it's just smoking or what, but he looks just like, well, not just like, but he reminded me because he looked like Mr. Swackhammer, who is the evil guy in Space Jam. He is the evil alien who runs the amusement park, whose (laughs) grand idea it is, to take these aliens to earth and steal the talents of all of the NBA players and is the mastermind. And he's played by Danny DeVito, by the way. He's the voice of Mr. Swackhammer. And so I was like, he looks like Mr. Swackhammer. Um, and so, yes, I have basically just compared Jerry Krause to the, the arch villain
0: in Space Jam, which yeah.
1: may or may not be, have been Michael's doing. I don't know. I don't know. Just throwing it
0: out there. That's interesting. Yeah, your, your teeth actually do end up looking like that when you BS through them. So much. So that's, uh, yeah, I agree with you. That was uh, a little off-putting there. By the way, you mentioned Jerry Seinfeld. That actually should have been put in the category of things I would have liked to have seen more of. I'm down for some Jerry Seinfeld pregame breaking down the plays, saying that one's not going to work. That is hilarious. I could have used a little bit more Jerry Seinfeld. I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. Uh, Some of my other observations, though, Michael Jordan was just a dog, man, like an alpha dog. Dog. When you see some of those pieces of footage, especially when they're going up against the Knicks and the Knicks, you know, with Anthony Mason and Charles Oakley and a trash talking young Greg Anthony and John Starks and Patrick Ewing, like they were trying to be the new bullies on the block, a la the Detroit Pistons, and they had the personnel to do it. And I remember watching, you know, whether it be Come Fly With Me or some of the old Michael Jordan's documentary specials and highlight tapes. uh, You saw them try to bully up on Scottie Pippen and he would flash the sarcastic smile and that kind of thing. Michael wasn't doing the sarcastic smile. If they stepped to him, he was stepping to them, like ready to throw down. When he would make a play, he was in their grill. Like he was not, effing around like that's the thing that strikes me when watching some of these highlights especially in a rough and tumble series like that where michael is just an alpha like the alpha of all alphas man another observation i had it was awesome to see him shank a drive on the golf course (laughs) like he's yelling four and i'm like oh man that, that reminds me of my golf game i'm down to see michael jordan a week before the playoffs start shanking drives uh ob Another observation I had, uh, the Tony Kukoc chapter in episode five, uh, where he didn't really have any idea what was coming to him in those 92 Barcelona (laughs) Olympics. And that was part of the segment on the dream team, which you knew they were going to have to include to some degree. Uh, But that seems to be as it pertains to the Jerry Krause saga in the chronology of that relationship, where it started to really fracture. Like maybe to the point of not being able to repair that relationship when Jerry Krause was just pouring all kinds of love on Tony Kukoc and trying to set him up as being the future of the franchise. When he had Michael Bleep and Jordan and Scotty and Pippen on his roster. Uh, and I think that that disconnect, that seemed to be the tip of the spear in the fracturing of that relationship long-term.
1: I, I agree. I think that's a great point by you because uh, you got to think back, right? They only won two titles at that point. And so he's, he's already trying to think about, Hey, well, What's the future going to look like? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but if you're going to do it at the expense of Michael and Scotty, that's probably not the way to go about it, right? Because very tangibly, as you put it, they put Scotty's contract on hold a little bit. And and so this wasn't just Michael going at Dan Marley in the 93 playoffs because he thought Jerry Krause thought he was a good defender. Like, that's, that's petty Michael, right, finding any motivation. Like, this was, this was much more tangible. This was very real. It really does seem like that is as concrete an example as we have of why they couldn't stand the guy. And to think that, you know, this goes six more years, and I get it, Michael goes for 18 months and leaves the team and goes and plays baseball. Um, but I mean, Scotty's there the whole time, right? And Scotty's Michael's guy. And, and so this is, this is a long time for this thing to brew. And this is just the summer of 92. They had four more titles to win. Uh, it's kind of crazy. And yeah, Tony Cole coach was a huge part of three of those.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. It, it, that's pretty wild for sure. All right, looking ahead, what are you hoping to see?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of curious what the timeline is going to look like, right? Because it, it, clearly we've got two parallel timelines, right? It's the 98 season, 97, 98 season, and then flashbacks leading up until we get to that point. So I'm kind of curious. We only got four episodes left, which is kind of sad when you think about it, just because this has been so entertaining. But kind of curious when those timelines... Sort of converge when we get to where it's just the playoffs in '98, or or what exactly that looks like. Because I'd imagine we how much baseball are we going to get? I, I'm curious there, right? How how much of Michael riding the bus are we going to see? And then of course the '96 season with how magical that was, where they they win the 70 games or seventy seventy two games or whatever it is. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be something, that I'm kind of curious what the the storytelling will look like.
0: We're already sixty percent of the way through. That is kind of hard to even uh, fathom and imagine. But uh, we'll do this again next week, my man.